This is Jacqueline Marino, and I am a professor of journalism, and this is Around the Sphere. Welcome to Around the Sphere, the podcast of the School of Media and Journalism at Kent State University, produced and recorded by MDJ students, faculty, and staff just for you. Hi everyone, my name is Rafael and I'm the president of Franklin Advertising Club. Franklin Advertising is a hand-on student organization for anyone pursuing a degree in advertising, marketing, visual communication, design, or other related communication studies. We like to act as a bridge between uh, students and local agencies and professionals. Uh, we often have guest speakers coming up and talk to us. We also having companies and brands coming in to give a speech. It's a good opportunity to network and to learn things that you wouldn't learn in class. We meet every other week in Franklin Hall at 6 p.m. on Tuesdays. And feel free to join us. If you're interested, you can join us on our Instagram and our newsletter. The link is in the bio. I'm Stephanie Smith. Your reading rainbow is Band Book Week, people. So I am Genevieve Krejci, and I am the project leader for Around the Sphere. I am Stephanie Dane-Smith. I'm an associate professor in the School of Media and Journalism. I teach in the School of Communication Studies and in the College of Communication and Information. And I'm sort of a ringleader in the read-in movement at Kent State, and I'm thrilled to be so. I'm Paul Herodegas. I'm the director of the School of Communication Studies here at Kent State. I'm Marianne Martins. I'm a professor in the School of Information, and I teach future librarians. I'm Jamie Bryan, and I'm a graduate student in the Media and Journalism program. I attended the read-in that we had last semester, and I read again at this semester's read-in. I'm Alton Northup, and I'm a second-year journalism major, and I've attended the read-in twice. Great. So, Professor Smith, I guess I'll aim this question at you. Why did you begin organizing the band book reading? Like, what inspired you? I think last year I was growing concerned specifically about Ohio House Bill 327 and some of the implications it has on uh, what our students learn and how they learn it. And I began thinking about uh, and talking to good colleagues like Dr. Herodakis about the current prevalence of book banning and book challenging. And I decided it was time to uh, share the message and to do it in a way that helped students access it and um, sort of make a joyful noise while doing it, to, to have a little fun, to talk about why books matter, to do some soft education. I mean, I only had two learning outcomes in the entire uh, two years I've been doing this. One is so that students understand there's a connection between their First Amendment rights and their right to read. And second, so that they understand that book challenging and banning comes from many different perspectives, political, spiritual, cultural. It's not the phenomena of one party or one demographic. And to give students a pretty good insight into the wide range of titles that have been challenged or banned. We all think about Fahrenheit 451, but we are less uh, likely to think about Little Red Riding Hood. So those were some of the education goals and merely to create a community of joyful readers. Great. And Dr. Herodakis, what was your thought behind everything? 
the school communication studies is sponsored this the last two years because uh, we teach freedom of speech. And the issue of book banning is one of those areas where we have to be very careful not to sleep on our rights. We assume, because we're a democracy, we have a, a strong First Amendment, that in fact we have access to information that we want. But Professor Smith is exactly right. We've been banning books and restricting media material for a long time, and we don't necessarily think that. And the implications that, that it can have are immense. In terms of books and magazines, we think about big books like Fahrenheit 451, but the fact of the matter is we've we've banned uh, and restricted comic books for a long, long time. We've had congressional hearings on how reading comic books causes juvenile delinquency. And so we've had a long history of this. And when we're not aware of that history, when we don't think about it and, and have events like this that highlight the books that have been banned, it's just going to lead to more. And and the funny thing is, we're having more book banning now than ever before in unprecedented amounts. So I know that we talked about um, a couple of the things that inspired it, like the bills and the um, just banned book readings in general. What are books that you know off the top of your head that are banned that you disagree with or that you would read from for the book reading? Well, I always think first of my favorite book, Catcher in the Rye, but I, you'd have to go a very long path for me to agree with the banning of a book. I debate this all the time in my head because that's how I am. If there was a book about how to create a bomb from a pressure cooker, <laughs> that's a different ethical matter for me. But even that I have debate, I truly believe that parents have the right to determine what's appropriate and when it's appropriate for their children. They have, in my estimation, no right to decide that for other people's children. Jamie, I can go to you. Uh, one book that has been challenged is The Perks of Being a Wallflower. And this is a book that meant a lot to me as a high school student because I really struggled my first few years of high school to find my place in the world. I was very shy and I, I felt like I didn't really belong in that environment. But watching Charlie, the character in the book, find his voice and become more comfortable with himself, it gave me inspiration to keep going. So I feel like you can really get a lot out of reading a book and relating to a character. And whenever they succeed, you feel like you have a chance to succeed as well. And then Dr. Herodakis. I just, uh, I, I think that was really well said. And I agree with what uh, Professor Smith was saying too. It's hard really to agree with the banning of books. It's simply antithetical to what we stand for, uh, why we have a First Amendment. We're supposed to have a marketplace of ideas. We're not supposed to control that marketplace, or certainly the government isn't supposed to control that marketplace. Let people read them and debate for themselves whether or not they agree with that material. Because so often, things that have been restricted or banned in the past, when we restrict those ideas, oftentimes those ideas of the past, they become the mainstream thought of the future. I would just like to add to what Professor Smith said about, you know, maybe a, a book about making a bomb out of a pressure cooker raises ethical issues. But what if you were one of the people who was involved in dismantling a bomb made out of pressure cookers? I mean, you could always argue there's always the other side of almost every book ban. There's always a counter to everything. So so I agree. I don't think there's any reason to ban books ever. Libraries need to make books available that present both sides of an issue we're nonpartisan. We're, you know, completely open. And I think those are part of a democracy is having debates and having information available to all. And I think it's completely in the hands of the parents to decide what their children should and should not read. Do you have a specific book in mind that you think is not meant to be banned? 
I also love the book that Professor Smith mentioned. That was one of my favorite books growing up. Um, but I make it a point to read banned books. And I'm reading Not All Boys Are Blue right now. And, um, you know, I, I can also see how that is such an important book for someone, you know, growing up who is perhaps queer and questioning and needs information. So I really think that all books are, are valuable. Alton, do you have a book that's important to you? Yeah, it's actually the same one that Jamie said, Perks of Being a Wallflower. And um, I actually was reading it last semester when the announcement of the read-in was happening. And I didn't even realize it was a banned book until the announcement of that. And I just wanted to share a quote from that book that I really enjoyed. It's from Charlie, the main character. And he says, it's strange because sometimes I read a book and I think I am the people in the book. And I like that because it really shows that books are a reflection of the human condition. So when you have people like lawmakers and parents wanting to ban books, you kind of have to question why they don't want us to see ourselves in the mirror. So that quote really stands out for me. It's probably not the most eventful quote from that book, but when we're talking about banned books, I think it is. Logistics wise, Professor Smith, um, do you just want to run through what the event was and what each part involved? Dr. Herodakis and Dr. Martins can join me in this. Um, it really involved barely organized chaos, creative chaos. I mean, what we did was spread the word and say, y'all come and bring a book. And if you can't find a book, just bring your, your heart. And uh, we opened with Dr. Herodakis and Dr. Martins giving a little bit of background and perspective to banned and challenged books. And then we go strictly to open mic. We basically say, who wants to read? Who wants to speak? And it flows pretty darn well from there. I would ask my colleagues to evaluate that. And in almost two hours of an event, we didn't have to say, uh, who's next? Who wants to come up and read next? Every person jumped out of their seat when one person was done and went up to read. They wanted the audience to hear a passage from the book that they felt so passionate about. We just had to sit back and listen. It was wonderful. By the way, not all students have to read. They can also stand up and extemporaneously talk about why they loved a book. Some students may not feel comfortable reading in public, so there's an opportunity. This year, we were very, very fortunate. We had um, our first ever selection of someone reading a banned poem. On living. Living is no laughing matter. You must live with great seriousness, like a squirrel. For example, I mean without looking for something beyond and above living. I mean living must be your whole occupation. Living is no laughing matter. Then we had Eric Mansfield, our university spokesperson. So as it turns out, um, I started writing a play about a teacher put on trial for banned books uh, back in June, and it's almost done. We had three communication studies majors play the characters in that scene. That was very powerful. We had international students. We had a Cambodian refugee, and we had a student from Turkmenistan who said, you know, we don't ban books in my country because they would just never be published, giving us a very sobering perspective, I think. And throughout the entire evening, I must say, we have a bounty of food. We have a buffet of socially unredeeming food, food that would be banned by any nutritionist, and thus it gets eaten pretty well. We had a little cosplay contest, some banned book giveaways, courtesy of Reinberger Children's Library Center. And I think those were the highlights of the event. It's very low on structure, very high on voice. What have I missed, Paul, Marianne, that I should have highlighted? 
I would just say the passion. Absolutely. The passion, the fun. Yeah, I, I think the thing I like about the event more than anything else is the discussion of the impact that the books had. Now, here are so many students bring books that are so close to them. And you and usually before they read something, they, you know, they would say why the book was so important to them, how it helped shape them or affect them in some particular way in it. And that was just the most amazing part of it to me. I also think the awareness raising, because, you know, you hear about banned books in the media, but then when you're asked to find a banned book and read it, and you realize it was one that you grew up with and one that you've loved your whole life, and that was a banned book, I think a lot of students were really sort of surprised about that. To Marianne's good point, I posted on my social media, I always give people examples of banned or challenged books, and I roll through all of them, all the Harry Potter, blah, 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 all of them, because there's a big list. But one evening, I posted out there, Harriet the Spy, and said why it had been challenged and pulled from some shelves. And the constituency of respondents I got to that was something I wouldn't have gotten from Shakespeare. Every book has its community of lovers. Some students felt so passionate about their books, they were clutching them and almost shaking with them, you know, that this is how important this book is. It's an extension of who I am. And when that gets encroached upon, then you're encroaching upon my very essence. And Jamie, you read at this one and the last one. What did you read and why? I read a passage from The Handmaid's Tale. I think about laundromats, what I wore to them, shorts, jeans, jogging pants, what I put into them, my own clothes, my own silk, my own money, money I had earned myself. I think about having such control. Now we walk along the same street in red pairs and no man shouts obscenities at us, speaks to us or touches us. It was a passage about control, and I chose it because of the recent decision to overturn Roe versus Wade. I think it's important to talk about where we've been and where we plan on going as a cautionary tale. And I think that Margaret Atwood kind of predicted this situation in her book, so I wanted to highlight that. Mm -hmm. Alton, you covered the event as a journalistic student. How was that experience? I really enjoyed it because I didn't expect people to be there for so many different reasons. And I think that was the best part was being able to see how something like HB 327 affects pretty much every student in Ohio, but it affects them in different ways. One that really stuck out to me, and I think Professor Smith might remember her, who she became emotional when she was talking about how she wouldn't be who she is today without her media advocacy class. And that's a type of class that this bill would put on the chopping block. Or you hear about students who talk about how growing up, these books really helped them to become the person they are today. I, I think that the, the best part for me was just being able to hear actual human stories. And I, it's something that I don't think a lot of these lawmakers are considering when they're making these bills. And I know that there was a cosplay aspect of the banned book reading this time. Was that your favorite part, Professor Smith? It wasn't my favorite part. I think my favorite part is just watching people come together, particularly uh, your student, uh, students your age, excuse me, who come together and talk about a book they love. I, I've had students tell me two years ago, this book was required for me in high school and I hated it. And now it's banned and I went back and read it again and I really liked it. So the, the big thing that the thing I find my, most joyful is hearing students talk about their connection to a book. When I hear that the connection that our community of joyful readers has to books, that's what gives me joy. 
cosplay is always the icing on the cake for me. It was this year just to see uh, who comes in costume and, and what they come as. I want to um, just say that when we take away a book, we are actually taking away words and ideas and lived experiences. And when we do that over time, and when we target certain kinds of ideas and words and lived experiences, we start erasing people. And we tend to think that cultural genocide occurs on a battlefield, but we know that cultural genocide can begin in school districts, in classrooms, in school libraries, where we start taking away people's culture, their stories, their access to language. It's a very real thing. It's a pretty pervasive thing. It continues in in cycles throughout history, and it's a dangerous thing. So having young people like Alton and Jamie, who join old people like me, and say, not only does this need to stop, but you're threatening and encroaching upon who I am and what brought me to this point in my life. That just seems to me to be fundamentally important. I'll say one thing in response to what, uh, again, what Professor Smith said is I think we, and I think uh, communication students in particular, have to think about the importance of communication in the First Amendment. And the important point that Professor Smith is making is sometimes we think about our right to speak, our right to freedom of expression. Sometimes we don't necessarily always think about the other side of that coin, and that is the right of access to information. You know, that we have freedom of speech so that we can engage in effective debate and civic participation. But if we don't have access to the information that's necessary to engage in effective debate and participation and to give informed consent. Really, our freedom of speech doesn't mean much. And I would just add, I think those are those are excellent points all around. And I think the student from Turkmenistan who raised the issue of, you know, the lack of book banning in her country because of the high level of censorship. If we're allowing, um, you know, individuals to censor what is read in a classroom or what is stored in a library or what is stored in a school library, we're really heading down a dangerous path. And I hope that that doesn't happen. And it's certainly something that we are working very closely with our students in the library school to um, talk about, you know, what are library policies and what does the American Library Association say and what resources are available when you're confronted with a would-be book banner or book challenger. Let's talk about the burr. The burr? Are you cold? Since it's finally fall, yes, but I'm talking about the Burr magazine. Oh, I see. Tell me about it. The Burr is Kent State's first student-produced magazine made for Kent State University. It is interesting, funny, and hard-hitting stories. Like what? Well, for example, they have a blog all about LARPing, live-action role-playing. They also have playlists on the site made by the staff. Yes, the Burr has been providing award-winning student journalism since 1986. Each issue contains a compelling mix of how-to articles, original reporting, and personal essays. Ah, so you do know about it. Yeah, I've been here a long time. So tell people where they can find it. You can find the stories at theburr2rs.com. That's right, and that's exactly where I got that previous information. As always, we'd love to hear any feedback, questions, or ideas you might have for us. You can send us an email to mdjpodcast at kent.edu. Well, that's all we have for you today. Be sure to subscribe, and we'll be back soon with more episodes. You've been listening to Around the Sphere. Please send us your thoughts, comments, and feedback to mdjpodcast at kent.edu. Music for this podcast was written and produced by Professor Scott Hallgren. 
This episode was produced by KG Goody, DMP major, and our podcast project manager is Genevieve Krejci, PR major. This podcast is advised by MDJ director Emily Metzger. Special thanks to all the students, faculty, and staff who made this episode possible, and a very special thanks to you for listening. We'll see and hear you around the sphere. Thank you.